need to feed my spirit. I was once a cleaner. You are a specter from the gods. Walk with me. Alright, you're listening to Wait You Were Mormon with Devin Brown. I'm your host, Devin Brown, and today the lovely Bill Squire. He's a comic and radio host out of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, he's currently the co-host of iHeartRadio's The Alan Cox Show, and you can also find him on his own podcast, The Bill Squire Show Podcast. Um, we had a really interesting conversation about his mission in the Philippines and how watching Matrix Reloaded led to breaking the law of chastity and excommunication. Um, so he's got a wild story, um, and we get vulnerable, and I think you guys will enjoy it and find it very therapeutic. Once again, um, you guys can reach out to me um, at waityourmormonpodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, um, I was really excited for this episode, um, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Alright, um, and of course, you guys, um, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram at Wait You Were Mormon Podcast, or you can email me at waityourmormon at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so enjoy. Alright, well, uh, Bill, why don't we just kind of jump into it? You know, again, thank sure. you for, for coming on. Um, so why don't you just uh, let us know a little about you, who you are, and what brings you on the podcast today? Uh, my name is Bill Squire. I'm a stand-up comedian and radio host in Cleveland on uh, the Alan Cox Show on 100.7 WMMS. And I am uh, formerly a Mormon. I was excommunicated from the Mormon Church in April of 2004 after I got into some trouble on my mission in the Philippines. All right. So we'll definitely get into that. Let's, you're the first person who has been excommunicated for sure um, oh, on the podcast. So that's, that's a cool first little milestone. Yeah. Um, so you were born and raised in the church. Yep. Born and raised in the church. My family's pretty like my dad's side, they go back to like, I want to say like the 1850s or something. Like they were in Utah and then Arizona. And then my grandpa kind of bounced back and forth. I think my dad was born in Arizona and then they grew up in Northeast Ohio because he took a job with Sherwin Williams as uh, he, my grandpa worked for uh, the FBI for a little while. And then he took the job as like the head of security for Sherwin Williams. And since they're located in Cleveland, uh, he moved back here and uh, I've grown up here my whole life. Okay. So he definitely took a lot of youth trips to like Kirtland and yes. all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of trips to Kirtland, a lot to Hiram, seen the Hilkamora pageant a number of times, all that, all that stuff. All right. So um, did you come from like a really strict Orthodox Mormon background or, you know, were you more of the Jack Mormon variety? Uh, I'd say we were pretty strict. There was some things like, like they, they were a little lenient on or they looked the other way, like growing up. We weren't supposed to do a lot of things, but we still kind of did. But like, not like super bad things. It's more like watching The Simpsons or just kind of like sneaking to to watch movies or something like that. Uh, we we could get away with that, and maybe some like more secular music and stuff like that. But it wasn't. Uh, but we weren't uh, 
like I, I wasn't drinking or, or partying or anything like that while I was a, a kid. Like the furthest I would go is I, I'd, I had some girlfriends where I, I broke the law of chastity a, a few times, uh, you know, some heavy petting and, and stuff like that. And then uh, what else? Just swearing. I was I was big into swearing. Okay. Seemed like an easy one to get away with. Yeah. Um, so as a kid, you know, you mentioned sneaking off to watch The Simpsons. Were you like watching a lot of raw like stand up specials or where did your kind of uh, interest in comedy kind of start? I out? mean, it was it, it, it kind of all started with The Simpsons because I just thought that that show was so funny and I watch it again and again. And then just kind of blossomed from there from movies like Wayne's World. And then I took an interest in Saturday Night Live and then kind of discovered stand up through that, through like Adam Sandler's old albums that he'd do that were real raunchy that we couldn't get away with listening to. So I kind of had to like have those, but not let my parents know what was on them. Uh-huh. As long as they didn't know too much, they, they didn't ask too many questions. Uh, but, and then that kind of led to like me discovering more like, like Steve Martin and then his stand up and uh, just kind of going from there. And then like in high school, Dave Chappelle's special uh, killing him softly came out. And that was when I was like, man, stand up is cool. Like uh-huh. that was, that was like a game changer for me. Yeah. How did you uh, deal with all the guilt? Listening to all uh, that filthy stuff. Compartmentalization, like where you just kind of, you're living like a double life. Mm-hmm. And you, and you it, it does eat you, like eat up at you, but like, like you're like, a, you feel bad about it. But when you're doing it, it feels so good that you'll live with the guilt. And then you kind of talk to other people because I was Mormon and I didn't really hang out with other Mormon kids that much. But like I had like Catholic friends and stuff like that, and they kind of were going through a similar thing where they weren't as strict as like the content that they were supposed to, but they still had things that they were supposed to do that they didn't do. So we all just kind of treated our religion like something that our parents forced us to do, and mm. then we would just do whatever we wanted. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting, like the things you will feel guilty over as a member of the church, yeah. you know, that are so like, you know inane just really not a big deal at all you know it's right. almost like you know if you take a kid and you tell him like if he eats an apple you know he's a bad person and you, you tell him that his whole life you know when he finally eats an apple for the first time he's gonna just feel terrible about it you know what i mean but really ultimately he's gonna wonder why it's so good too yeah exactly you know it's really good but it's bad so you you're very confused about it and then mm. you don't have any actual like it kind of messes up your moral compass because you don't, you didn't really earn your morals. You were just presented with them and asked to follow this blindly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it to, you know, like earning things, you know, you're just really like, I talked to so many people and it's like, yeah, you know, when I finally left the church, like I discovered like, you know, this was the first time I was actually making choices and decisions for myself. Like everything from, you know, youth and up is so controlled. So, you know, you mentioned you did some of this stuff pre-mission. So was going on a mission something you always wanted to do or was that, you know, in your family, you're going to serve a mission? It was in your family. You're going to serve a mission because I was, I was actually, I had to wait a year before I was even allowed to apply to go or put your papers in, whatever it was called. Uh, because I had a girlfriend my senior year of high school and we had done some stuff like oral sex and, mm-hmm. and I felt so guilty about that that I 
like came clean to my bishop and then they made me wait a year and so then that was like the longest year of my life waiting for you know to be able to actually go on my mission and then like just getting away was kind of nice and like i threw myself pretty hard into the mission work of like the first you know eight or nine months but i was really miserable and that was probably the the most depressed i've ever been in my entire life where i was trying to be a good mormon and it didn't make me happy it made me uh suicidal Mm. wow and that is that was that stretch of time before you left yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh no, that was the that was the first year as a missionary. Oh, as a missionary. Time before I left, it was more like I I just kept myself busy like doing stuff like that I enjoyed. So like I I was, you know, I was working a little bit, but mostly like hanging out with friends and and like playing music and stuff like that, just being kind of a uh screw off and and I like would bounce from job to job and my parents were trying to get me to save money to pay for my mission, but I knew that they would pay for it anyway, so I didn't really care, but uh, about saving the money for that. Uh, but it was, you know, it was just, it was just, a like keep myself busy. Cause I don't want to think about leaving. Yeah. And then like being away from my friends and all these relationships that I had, you know, thought were, you know, that were important to me that get completely screwed up by the two years that I was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, coming back to that, the first year when you were out, like, being suicidal and depressed and, you know, this horrible time, like, it's such a a shock when you get out there. Like, your whole life, everyone's telling you this is going to be the best two years of your life. Mm-hmm. And so did you kind of, did you ever blame yourself? Like, you know, everyone's saying it's the best two years. Why am I having the worst year? Right. And, yeah, exactly. I, I blame myself because I'm like, why, why doesn't this fulfill me? Like, I must be really like evil i must be really full of something that is not in line with what i've been taught because all the stuff that's supposed to be so good has been so not just uh like it it was just so heavy on me and it just it was so uh like the the rewarding aspect of it wasn't there Mm -hmm. like because in the philippines you could get some baptisms you could get some conversions but I never felt like I converted anybody. I felt like I just made friends and they wanted to hang out. And that's kind of what you would do is like, as soon as you would, like they weren't, they weren't being, they weren't believers in the, the, the message that I had. They just liked when I was around because I was, I got pretty good at the language pretty fast. I was, I was good at Tagalog and I was fun. And so mm-hmm. I, like, that was, that was what they were converted to. They weren't converted to the actual message of Mormonism. It was just, it was hope that they could have a friend that could, you know, maybe take them to America or, or have some link to America. Just having a link to America in the Philippines is a pretty exciting prospect mm-hmm. when you're that hard up. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty uh, similar. I served my mission in uh, Ghana in West Africa. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was the same. You know, you would just, missionaries would show up, people would become friendly, you know, with that pair of missionaries. And then as soon as that pair of missionaries eventually left the area, you, you know, you'd never see that person again. So yep. yeah, that's exactly that, that, how it goes. That was, that was pretty much it. So once you see that, that it's really like you, you're the messenger and then, but the message isn't actually connecting with these people uh, unless and like every once in a while you'd see someone that would like latch on, but then you see the people that had been in the church for a while, they were just power hungry and they were usually mm. corrupt and they were siphoning like 
tithing funds and stuff like that, there were very few like genuinely converted members because yeah. it wasn't about it was it was about uh like having control over people it wasn't about you know what what, what it was supposed to be about mm-hmm. yeah and that's interesting because uh i think I, I noticed a similar thing in in ghana as well like you would go to these little villages like a fishing village or something and you know people have you know shacks essentially really that they're living in and then but the church is brand new the ward mm-hmm. building brand is the nicest building you know around for miles um and so people would want to join the church because it's like oh look at this really expensive building this church has money they're sending these white kids over here these americans they have money um and it's felt like yeah a lot of the times people yeah the message really was the last thing that yeah. that mattered and it that, was the, the hope or the you know like it, similar to like the american dream like that's what they were sold on like mm-hmm. oh if i join this church i could m- work my way up use these connections to have a better life and it was it was more networking than anything mm-hmm. and then similarly from like the missionary point of view um i found the people that were most devoted on the mission um have left the church just for my mission and the people that just were really loose with it and really it didn't mean as much. They're mm-hmm. they're still in the church because that's how they lived the gospel, right? But I found like a lot of the missionaries. It seems that they they wanted the picture of the baptism more than they wanted the person to be baptized. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. That's I want to be able to send this home and get the praises for it. Mm-hmm. I really don't care if they have a transformation of their heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like it was. I mean, it's kind of similar to to social media now where you don't have to actually be on vacation. You don't have to actually be in the fancy resort. As long as you get the picture of you, that looks like you're someplace nice. Mm -hmm. The framing around it can be trash, but if it, if it looks nice for that picture and you can post it on Instagram and people be like, Oh man, I want to be there. I want to do that. Like you're just selling that, that lie, not the actual, uh, everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. Now, um, what mission in the Philippines did you serve in? I was in Quezon City. Quezon City. Okay. And, and uh, did they have a missionary training center in the Philippines or did you go to Provo? I was in Provo. Okay. Um, what were, I think they, they have one for the Filipino missionaries, but they like the American missionaries would go to Provo and then we'd, we'd be there extra time. We weren't there as long as like people going to Korea uh, or like the the more difficult Asian languages to learn. Like I think mm-hmm. they were there for, uh, I think we were there for twelve weeks. I think they were there for sixteen. So, but it was it was like it was pretty. You know, Provo was whatever. Like it was mostly I just lived for playing basketball, and you know, all that downtime. But I, I did throw myself pretty hard into learning the language because I didn't like the idea of being somewhere and not knowing how to communicate with people. So mm-hmm. I got really, really good at the language pretty quick. Um, when you're learning it in Provo, like, is it all just verbal? Like, does that make sense? Or are you learning, like, how to write in Tagalog and read it? 
Um, you're learning mostly it's verbal just so you can teach the lessons as fast as you can. But they, they had us do some verbal and, and the conjugations in Tagalog were actually pretty simple once you figured it out. Okay. Like it was just it, it's not like there's no there's no genders like so like learning Spanish or, or anything like that where you have to learn all these different like nuances to it. You you can learn basic Tagalog per, like that was simple. It was then picking up on everybody's different spin on it when you got there. That oh. was what was really hard is because from city to city and province to province, uh, not everybody would speak pure Tagalog. Some people would speak like mixtures of the language. And then uh, you just like under like everybody had like their own accent, too. So I'd speak like I spoke like someone from Kazan City. Oh. Uh, but when I would speak to somebody from like a provincial area, they'd be like, "Oh, you're a city person. You're not a, yeah." Mm-hmm. It would it would sound a lot different. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Quezon City is that like a is that a more coastal mission area or is it very like landlocked? Um... Um, there there was some coastal areas. It's it's I think there's like a bay, uh, and it's really close to Manila too. So Manila had I think two missions, and then Quezon City was right next to it and so we were we were right in like that like it was just giant cities and it was it was mostly like there wasn't really provincial areas you were you were in concrete jungles basically where you know our apartments were in suburbs or not suburbs but like uh they're, they're either like buildings or like uh um subdivisions and then you go into the other areas that were like way more uh like just random like you said kind of huts but it was like cement blocks just built into to homes that people would live in and there was no really way of knowing whose house was what or but they still got mail somehow mm-hmm. people would figure that out and I, I never i never knew anyone's address yeah that is interesting it's always like oh it's the yellow house yeah around the corner with like a chicken out front or something yeah, yeah. um but that's interesting like what were your first impressions like when you got your mission call? Uh, I was pretty scared because it was so far away and just having to learn a language. Because like my oldest brother went to Eugene, Oregon, and then my next older brother went to Germany. So like he actually had to learn a language. My brother, oldest brother, didn't. But I was I was just like, well, this is going to be completely terrifying. And then I think I looked up some stuff about it, and I was just like, okay, so there's you know and just you, you just see the pictures of, of where you're going and it was just it was too much so i just kind of put it out of my mind it's like mm-hmm. i'll just deal with it when i get there mm-hmm. and that was like so much of my life back then whereas I, I was never prepared for anything because it was always so overwhelming that i would just have to like put it out of my mind and then just cross the bridge when i got there mm-hmm. no i'm i'm an only child um so when you were growing up and you had these older brothers that served their missions um did they tell you like any horror stories or did they you know like did they share what their actual experience was like not really like they they all kind of like we and i think it was more like i wasn't that interested just because i felt like i couldn't tell them my honest like fear Mm -hmm. because then they would tell my parents and be like well bill doesn't even want to go on a mission Mm. but i think they didn't really want to go either now that i like look back but it was just one of those things that we all did and we all felt obligated to do. Mm-hmm. But like my one brother gotten like, he, 
they had relatively like different missions than me because converting people in America and Germany, you're meeting people that are a lot harder to convert versus in a place where they're looking for any sliver of hope, like the Philippines or Ghana, uh-huh. they'll, they'll, they'll buy into whatever because they're just looking for something. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And now since um, you've been home, have you guys ever talked like mission stories or? Yeah, we've talked, uh, especially my, my older brother, like my oldest brother still is in the church uh-huh. and he kind of fits that profile. Like you said, where he was just kind of going through the motions. Uh-huh. I wasn't that worried about it. And so like, he still goes to church, but he's just kind of like, like it's more like a social thing for him. Uh-huh. And then, uh, my other brother left the church, but he didn't leave the church till like four or five years ago when he was in like his late thirties. Uh-huh. And, uh, that was and so like this past christmas we were hanging out and uh we you know just talking about our mission stories and stuff like that and just how like his his was they didn't talk to anybody like nobody in germany wanted to talk to mormon missionaries uh-huh. at all so like he was really isolated uh-huh. yeah man like i'm i'm always kind of surprised like you know i'll, I'll be talking to a return missionary especially when i lived in salt lake city and then i would ask like yeah do you ever have nightmares like that you you have to serve a mission again (laughs) and without fail everyone has them and it's just like man like no one really is preparing you for those you've never felt isolated like that at that age like you've never experienced any any sort of hardships like that it's really uh it's really it's really heavy and and that's why they do it at that age is because they they're trying to isolate you and make you rely on one thing. And that's the church is going to get you through this and Mm. like for them to take you and put you in another part of the world and then take care of you. You go, okay, well I know that if I'm anywhere in the world or any situation, this is my lifeline. And so it's, it's a brainwashing mechanism Mm. and it's not working like it used to though. Yeah. No, yeah, people are really leaving um, in droves lately, yeah. and uh, the pandemic definitely did not help the church maintain no. anyone. It's like, oh, I actually like having my Sundays free, you know? Right, exactly. But um, have you, like, you know, since coming home, have you had any of those dreams? Uh, I, yeah, I I would have them a lot more when I was, I mean, it's been almost, it's been 16 plus years now, mm-hmm. so uh, not nearly as much but like more in like the first couple years that i got home i would definitely have a lot of those dreams where Mm -hmm. like it was starting over and like like the guilt of it all would weigh real heavy on me and so uh i'd be back at church and like they would say like it was like oh you went on your mission you're back but you have to do it again because you messed up and got excommunicated so you have Mm -hmm. to start over and that's the only way you can get back into the church kind of thing and so I used to have those dreams pretty regularly uh, before I kind of come to terms with everything. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah. of therapy. Yeah. Then I'm like, that's, it's really traumatic, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and people that, you know, have, didn't grow up in the church or um, have never experienced it. Like it's, it's really kind of hard to wrap your head around it, like how it could yeah. do that kind of damage. But, you know. Yeah. And I, I've, I've always tried to, explain it but there's just not anything that's quite like it because even if other people they're like oh yeah i went on a mission trip but they're going like in a group and they're not going for as long of a time Mm -hmm. 
and the, the regulations and the strictness is not there and it's it's not as isolating where you're leaving everyone that you know and then just getting moved around and you're just kind of like i don't know you're, you're it, it feels i mean it's not slavery but it's not it's like indentured servitude mm-hmm. yeah and you know like we keep saying like you're so young like i saw some pretty messed up stuff in Ghana yeah. that I was not equipped to see like uh and people in your wards and stuff because you're American and this and that and you know the title of elder holds so much weight they treat you like you're much much older right than you really are it's like I'm I'm 19 like I was uh in one of my areas my companion and I we got a phone call like a frantic phone call from one of the uh a member in the the bishopric he's like elders you got a get down here we need to go to this hospital like one of the sisters and her kid got hit by like a motorcycle and you guys need to come give them blessings and do all this kind of stuff we're just like like oh my god that's really heavy but like we'll be there right now and we get there and like the hospital is like barely a hospital like and they wanted us to like come in and we couldn't even really touch them but they wanted us to like consecrate oil and you know anoint them and bless them and it's just like such a horrific sight like to see this little girl like and i just knew she wasn't gonna make it yeah and then feeling guilty that i like didn't believe enough like to right. pull this miracle off and it's just and then the next day it's like you know we got that phone call like that they you know they didn't make it and it's like oh my god like jesus like you know why wouldn't you just have the bishop or something come like you know we're just little kids Right. Yeah. That's really heavy. That's, I, I had to do some blessings and stuff like that, but nothing like that. That's real. Like that is very traumatic. Yeah, man. It's just, it was insane. And just being in that little clinic and just knowing that they had just no equipment and it just mm-hmm. really makes you grateful. Like when you're mm-hmm. back in the States, like, you know, if I ever get sick or something, at least I have access to some treatment. That's, that's one thing that, was beneficial of it is going to a place where you see true poverty and just having that perspective and seeing what like people really struggling looks like versus you know what we have over here and obviously there's people in america that are struggling too but the people that think they're struggling a lot of times don't have any aren't anywhere near the level of struggle that's happening in like a truly impoverished country Mm -hmm. no not at all and how are the people over there? Were they pretty happy too, though? Because like in the Philippines, like there's, I mean, there's definitely like a, a sense of depression and like a search for peace of mind. But on a day to day basis, the people were pretty happy, and they're pretty like, "Hey, we're gonna make the best of this situation," because they didn't really know mm-hmm. any other life. Um, I would say that's pretty much sums it up. Like they're very joyful people, very religious mm-hmm. uh, group of people. Like. Um, all the taxis around, um, on the back of them and on the sides of them, they would all have like inspirational, like quotes from the Bible or verses. All the shops would be like saved by his blood barbershop, you know? So like just Christianity was just everywhere there. So yeah. Catholicism's huge in the Philippines. So you'd see like, like all the, the taxis over there or like, it's like an in-between taxi bus where it's called a jeepney and it would just drive around on like a certain route and you just get on wherever you wanted and get off wherever you want and then walk to your destination and they'd all be painted 
like airbrushed with like the Virgin Mary or Jesus on it, and they'd all be very, uh, very, very Catholic looking. Mm-hmm. But now they were very happy. You know, you just there'd randomly be like music and parades like on the street. Um, um, what about on uh, for pass or not Passover, but like Easter and Good Friday? Would they do crucifixion crucifixions? They would, yeah. They would. So, yeah, they would mm-hmm. do that in the Philippines too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they all, they have all the denominations over there. Um, so you would see like um, foreign Catholic priests and stuff visiting and doing all that sorts of stuff, and you'd see you know a lot of different kinds of missionaries really. But um, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, I definitely don't regret going because it did really like mature me and open my eyes to a lot of things. And the people were cool. But um, yeah, people—that's you know really what started the podcast. Like, people really don't know what they're getting into. Yeah, you know, you don't get a an accurate uh, portrayal. And lo and behold, that's most of the that's all the church really. You don't get an accurate right. portrayal yeah. of any of it. Yeah, I don't know if you like how much deep you've gone into. Some of the backstory, but last podcast on the left did a pretty deep dive on the Mormon church. Yeah, stuff in there that I didn't know about, and you know, like I I done my research after I, I was excommunicated, and that way I didn't feel as bad. But like what they were uncovering, and like just like what a scam artist Joseph Smith was, I was like, man, this makes me feel so much better. But it'd also be nice if I could get like my parents to mm. buy into that. But they're you know in their late sixties now, so they're they're pretty much locked in mm. till the end. Yeah, that uh, I would recommend that the last podcast on the left series as well. It was really, um, it was eye opening for sure. There was a lot of stuff that I that I hadn't come across in my research as well. Um, the humor can be a little crass for anyone listening, yeah. um, so be wary of that. But it is very informative. Um, just kind of doubling back to Kazon City, um, like what kind of Obviously, you got into some some wild stuff, so I guess that's kind of tell us some some mission stories. All right. Well, it kind of all started with uh, the when I got I got promoted to being a district leader in my I think my third area, and I was uh, with this other my zone leader was in the same apartment as me, and after a few weeks, we you know we like became really close friends. And we started to talk about movies and stuff like that. And just like, and then we go on splits all the time where me and him would hang out and then our companions would hang out. And so we just hang out like all the time. And we're like, let's go see the matrix. Cause the matrix reloaded had just come out. So we went to see first, actually the first movie we went and saw was the Hulk, like the 2003 Hulk with Eric Bana and uh we had so much fun like people hated that movie over here and people hated matrix reloaded but because i hadn't seen a movie in so long i loved both of those Mm. movies so much and so we went and saw that and then we're like that was fun let's go see another movie so we went and saw matrix reloaded and then we bought like a little mini dvd player and just started buying all these pirated dvds and we just basically stopped working for a while and just watching like series and in movies and just everything that we could and then someone caught wind of it and ratted us out. We got in trouble. Both of us got stepped down. He was only there for like another month and then he went home and then I got, I got stepped down then moved back up to a district leader again in my next area. And then 
uh, I was pretty good in that area, but then my following area, I was, uh, a district leader and I was in, uh, this apartment with a friend of mine who like, he was the batch behind me and we got cell phones and then we like got girlfriends. And so then once we got like, 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 let's get girlfriends. So we met these girls and we'd hang out with them and just do and then we bought a tv and like we were just we just never were working i I didn't even really go to church like i would just like Uh show up for like the the, uh and then say we had appointments and then leave uh and then i got promoted to zone leader and that's when things got real crazy because now i was in charge of all these missionaries Mm -hmm. and i could figure out who was cool and who wasn't and we had like this whole network of disobedient missionaries that were going out to bars, we went to strip clubs. We like were getting drunk and like having girls over and stuff like that. And it was like a wild couple of months where we were just having an awesome time. And eventually like about a month before I was supposed to go home, someone had uh, ratted us out and I took the blame, got stepped down because they only knew that like there had been a girl over they didn't know all the details. So I just said it was one girl and I brought her over and, you know, moment of weakness. And, uh, so they, they stepped me down right before I was about to leave. And then, uh, it was right around the time that passion of the Christ came out. And I was telling all those missionaries, like, I was just like, just basically preaching that it doesn't matter what you do. Cause you can just repent and even then, it's not really that real. Like, I was just basically saying, like, this this church isn't that real. Uh-uh. Like, there's, there's no real consequences to our actions here. And so then they got wind of that. And that's when I did, like, they brought me in for a disciplinary meeting. And that's when I came clean on all the other stuff that I did. Uh-huh. So that was, like, a week before I was supposed to actually go home with honor. And they sent me home lickety-split. Like, I was – had that disciplinary meeting – uh, they excommunicated me that night and I was on a plane within the next like day and a half headed home. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So they excommunicated you over there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that was, yeah. that they would do something like that. Yeah. The mission president did that. Wow. Jeez. Um, we had a couple guys like get flown out under like for suspicious reasons, but it's interesting, um, to talk to someone who like, you were like the mission legend. Like I'm sure in case on C they're still yeah. talking about like I heard one time there was this Yeah, like they changed <laughs> rules and it was like there was like a mass like like there was a whole bunch of missionaries that ended up because like I was the first domino f- to fall, but then a bunch of other people got sent home after me because they didn't change their ways. Like they're just like, Oh well Bill got caught or Elder Squire got caught, but you know, we'll just keep doing it and so then there was probably five or six more missionaries within the next few months that all got sent home Man. and, you know, disfellowshipped or excommunicated. Jeez. Cause, uh, like one of the legends that I heard while I was in Ghana was like, yeah, there's, um, there was this guy, elder white who bought this girl, like a rice stand in, mm-hmm. in this, one of these areas, he bought her a rice stand and, um, got her pregnant and if you go to that area, it's like Elder White's rice, and it's like a very obviously mixed baby, like kid oh, that she wow. has. Um, it's just like, 
you know, who knows if that ever really happened, you know, right. I never made it to that area or anything, but, uh, you know, yours actually has validity. And so I just yeah, love yeah, to be was... in one of those apartments or something now, like as a missionary now. Yeah. Especially kinda... like, I would have loved to like, like maybe a year or two after it had happened to hear what it had become mm-hmm. would have been cool to see. Cause like now it's like so long ago that it, it's probably spun into something else, but at one point it was probably pretty wild what they were saying. Cause we did a lot of crazy stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we got a ride home. Like the, the cops got called on us more than once because there's one of us that was like, he would get drunk real fast and be pretty belligerent. And so they like, he wouldn't want to pay. And then one time I, I was like, kind of took his lead. So, but then we paid cause it was like, our bill was like $40 and it's like, Oh yeah, we'll just pay that. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the cops gave us a ride home that night, like in the paddy wagon, they drove us back to our apartment. And then like we had strippers like come over to our apartments a couple times and like drink with us and party with us. It was, it was some wild shit. Now, how did you get over the fear to even try some of that stuff? Cause I felt like all eyes were on me all the time walking around. Uh, I mean, it was also like, so there were cell phones back then, but it wasn't like camera phones were a big thing yet or anything. Mm-hmm. So it was just your word against theirs. And I got, I'm like, I'm not super proud of this, but I got really good at lying. So like, I remember one time the, like when I got stepped up to being the the zone leader, the mission president asked me if I was like being obedient and stuff like that. He's like, we heard reports that there were missionaries in the area going to movies again and, you know, just being disobedient. And I was like, well, that's not me, elder or, you know, president. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, I'm out here doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I made my mistake in the past. I'm not going to do it again. And he bought it and then made me his own leader that day. And mm. so I was just like, well, what the fuck? Jeez. Yeah. So much. Cause fun. I was also, you know, it, it did point me in the direction of doing stand up comedy because I would give really good district and zone meetings because I, like that's where I put all my time. I mm-hmm. would just make it funny. So they wouldn't, you know, they have like kind of an uplifting message or whatever, but it was, it was just, how can I make this entertaining for, you know, an hour for everybody. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Do you um, talk a lot about Mormonism, like in your, in your routine? Yeah. From, I mean, I have like, I, I've kind of gone into it in some of my like past stuff. Uh, it's not so much on my list anymore, but like I definitely have a good chunk of material about it. Mm-hmm. And, and every once in a while I'll bring it back, but it's definitely something that, like I had to delve into and like find the funny in it and mm-hmm. all those stories and, and make people aware. Cause it's, it's such a big part of who I am and how I got to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even out here, like Mormons are such a mystery to most yeah. people that I talk to, you know what I mean? Like they really use, I mean, I assume everybody knows Mormons and knows everything about them. Like we really uh, think highly of ourselves <laughs> as a, as yeah. a church. And it is like a lot of people think it's like almost Amish or something like yeah. that, or like a Hasidic Jew or something. And I'm just like, no, it's very like you wouldn't know. And like the people are shocked that I grew up out here as a Mormon because they don't understand that yeah, Mormons are everywhere. So a lot of the stuff that I have jokes about is like kind of setting the table and talking about these like things that people know about Mormons and then telling my side of it and then why, you know, mm-hmm. and how I kind of blew it all up. Now, coming home 
you know, a little early from your mission, obviously there's stigma around that. People are going to have questions. Yeah. Um, like, was it very difficult for you to like return home? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't because there wasn't like, there was a, a separate singles ward that I would go to. Mm. Like I came home, I never gave like a, you know, welcome home uh, talk or anything like that. But I, uh, you know, came home and, and, you know, people had their questions, but I think they had all kind of figured it out just through all mm-hmm. the, the gossip that happens in church. Uh, so I didn't really have to like address that, but I also didn't care what people thought because I really didn't have any, like once I realized that my connection to all these people was not based on actual friendship, it was just this tenuous connection that I had through this religion that I wasn't all that invested in anymore. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as important to me to, have them like to try and impress them. Yeah. So within the the next year, I went to the singles ward for a year while I was also starting stand up comedy. So I would still, I was still like in the church, like trying to get refellowship, trying to get back in. And then uh, once I got back in, like I did actually get rebaptized again. And then after I got rebaptized within like a few months, I moved out of my parents' house and never went back to church. Uh So it was like, it was really just to show them like, oh yeah, I'm trying my best. I'm doing what I can. And then like the day that I moved out was that, that was it. Like I never looked back. Hmm. Now, since you had kind of a, I'm going to say it's a little, it's a less common experience, a less common exit from the church. Um, was your like broken shelf experience, um, like similar to a lot of other people or once you made that decision, like, okay, I'm not going back to church. Like you didn't really didn't weigh on your mind as much. Uh, it, it only weighed on my mind when I would see my parents. So like everything else, like, you know, like doing comedy and like kind of making my way in the world and and doing what I wanted to do. Cause like I had started working like at comedy clubs and, and working on the road a little bit within that year. And so going at like focusing on that and like then reaching out to people to like ask about their experiences. Like I I was able to reach out to some comedians that are real popular now, but they hadn't really made it yet because MySpace was a thing. And, you know, so like a guy like Bill Burr gave me really good advice about leaving a religion and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And like just made me feel like it it was the right thing to do. Uh, And, and so I was very, uh, grateful to have you know like to be able to start connecting with people across the country Mm -hmm. that were uh not you know and and even some ex-mormons and stuff like that and and some of the missionaries that i had uh served with that had left the church so i i kind of used them as my my guide and then just threw myself pretty hard into comedy because like my parents wanted me to go to college or do something like that and i just that just felt more like doing what they wanted me to do and i was done doing what other people wanted me to do and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do for once in my life. Mm-hmm. So I threw myself super hard into doing stand up comedy and uh made a you know, started making a living doing it mm-hmm. when I was, you know, twenty three, twenty four years old. I mean it wasn't a great living, but I was paying my bills and stuff mm-hmm. and and making my way through and, and getting better. And so uh that that became my focus and that that made it easier to leave that behind me because I'm like, Oh, I can do this by myself. Even if my parents don't support me, which they ended up supporting me quite a bit, Mm -hmm. uh, which was cool. 
once once we kind of hashed everything out but it was uh it was like a lot lot to deal with but it was it was good for me it was like a good trial yeah yeah um i guess throughout all that period and and then after um what were some of the more like troubling things with the church for you that made you say definitely i'm done it it, it was seeing everybody just kind of doing it for other reasons like nobody had like pure intentions with the church mm. and like I saw everybody struggling with similar things to me, like, like hanging out with those other like young adults that were all trying to get married and just trying to be these, you know, ideal Mormons and none of them really having any, I don't know. They, they just all seemed kind of dead inside mm. and like they're all trying to do something for someone else and not for themselves. And so that was really what, uh, just made me feel real confident just going and doing what I wanted to do mm. because all these people were just the ones that were like, this is what I'm supposed to do. So that's what I'm going to do. You know, there were some converts that were like trying their best, but like nobody was like, once you got anybody alone, everybody would tell you what a piece of shit they were. Mm. Like, so you, you'd be like, everybody would act one way when we were all together. And then when you get like separated with someone and be like, well, this is what, you know, I do. And this is how I, you know, like the double life that I'm leaving, leading, and you see that everybody's leading that double life. You're like, well, why the fuck am I pushing myself? Sorry to get a little. Uh, but yeah, why am I pushing myself so hard to try and fit into this society, this, you know, this religion when I'm doing it just to appear normal, but nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I definitely feel that. And now I know most people, you know, especially if you're, you're born and raised in the church. Um, are so they're probably most afraid of losing that social circle, losing those connections. Um, so, you know, and that can make it hard to, to leave, but like, how has life been for you? Like outside of the church? I mean, it's been pretty fantastic. Like I, I really did carve my own way. And like, I mean, I can't say that was all easy, but I've been a lot happier and I've actually like figured out how to deal and like cope with real problems and, and, and put myself first and not do things just to make other people happy. All these, all these things that I thought were being Christ-like were actually really damaging to me in a way uh, because, you know, you're taught to, to be, you know, charitable in all these ways, but you don't actually have the discipline to take care of yourself first because, you know, you're not, I don't know. I just never felt like, they focused on that mm-hmm. uh, and like really, I really had no coping mechanisms for a long time. So to, to be where I'm at now where I'm making a good living and I'm doing what I want to do. And I, you know, I'm still pre- like, I feel like I have a pretty good moral compass where I'm a, I'm a pretty decent person overall, you know, but I'm not uh, guided by anything other than me doing what I feel is right and, and wanting to, to do what's right for other people too. Mm-hmm. So like all those, you know, all, all that guilt is by the wayside now. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. It's nice to have that behind me. So, and, and also like have like a fulfilling career. I have a nice family. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. That's really awesome. You know, just to be able to really 
follow a dream like that and have it work out. I mean, yeah. that's really cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's also, you know, it's one of those things. I think there was a quote by Jim Carrey uh, that I just saw recently where he said, I want everybody to be rich and famous to see that those aren't the answers because that's mm -hmm. not that's not what makes me happy. What makes me happy is just having something to, to live for each day that mm -hmm. is, you know, personal growth and, and, and like, you know, being a good example to my kid. Cause I have like three step kids mm -hmm. from my, I was married for a little while, but the kids are still a big part of my life and they're getting older now. And, and now I, you know, it's nice to see that I had a positive impact on them yeah. and then, you know, and then just being able to go on the radio every day and, and make people laugh and then also make them think a little bit and, mm -hmm. and kind of challenge some ideas that certain people had and, and make them, you know, kind of rethink how they were brought up. That's that's one thing that always bothers me when people say they use how they were raised and, and it's, as an excuse for poor behavior. They'd be like, well, I can't help it. That's how I was raised or that's my heritage or anything like that. I was like, well, yeah, I was raised a very different way too. And uh, I went against it because mm -hmm. I saw that it was actually very negative. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah. And your kids too, they're like so lucky, like, you know, not to have that, that just all that craziness and just yeah, shame yeah. and toxic shame I mean, have, and everything is drilled into yeah. them. You know? I mean, they, they still have their own problems, but yeah, yeah. they don't like, like trying to explain to them that like, they don't even, they don't get it. Like they, they went to church a few times with my parents when they were real little, mm -hmm. but like now they're all teenagers and one of them's 21. The, the youngest is going to be 18 later this month. And they're, they're just like, they're, they're very, uh, wise when it comes to mm. that kind of bullshit yeah that's really awesome um is there anything i haven't asked you so far that uh you feel impressed to speak on uh nothing other than just you know if anybody is listening to this and they want to reach out i'm i'm always open to talk to people about it and 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 hear their experiences because i know everybody's experiences is, is quite different and uh and that brainwashing and that guilt does not go away easy mm -hmm. like that that's something that sticks with you and just can be really paralyzing and then almost there's like a revenge you feel like you have to seek and i don't know if you've ever been on like the ex-mormon subreddit and stuff mm -hmm. like that where you know these people are still consumed by the religion and almost like trying to take it down and that can be just as toxic in a way mm -hmm. like it's i i you know there's some good stuff on there but there's some people that it's like you want to kind of help them just be like, okay, you're, you're out, go live your life now. Like you can mm -hmm. go your own thing because that's kind of how my brother was for a little while and he's gotten a lot better, but he's, uh, you know, he, he, he needs to, he's a lawyer. So he's got to have like justice in his mind. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so he, he's, he's pretty deep into that ex Mormon community, but I, I, I think he's gotten to a point now where he's kind of reconciled it a bit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. It can um, be very consuming, you know, still after you leave, um, you know, almost it's political in a way, you know, yeah. it's like going on, you know, a political forum, essentially, yeah. the left versus yeah. the right um, in, in the intensity. But no, that is very true, um, you know, but it is good to uh, share things like this, commiserate yeah. with someone and kind of, you know, it's, it's therapeutic, you know, yeah, but it, but it can be like what you're saying. Uh, it can be very toxic if you allow yeah. it. 
Well, what, last year well, I, I did the um, Mormon and the Meth Head podcast. Uh, I think in 2019, mm-hmm. like April 2019, and all of last year, I was developing a like a pilot or movie with uh, some producers in uh, Hollywood, and like we had to do like real deep dives into the stuff that I went through, especially like on my mission, because mm-hmm. they want to like tell that story, and like it, it was therapeutic, but man, it also like. I get done with those sessions and I would just be so emotionally exhausted mm-hmm. because I was like reliving those, you know, panic attacks and the, that depression and that, you know, the thrills that I went to too, like it was, it was so much to go through and having like relived it in a way just through my memories was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we'll, you know, be able to make something out of it. If not, it was still a nice experience just to kind of dive back in and not only express it, but like express it to people that had no idea about the Mormon church Mm -hmm. and like really kind of lay it all out for them piece by piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it, it is a lot, but you know, again, like I really appreciate you coming on here and and, and sharing that stuff with me and everybody. Um, You know, it's, it's always beneficial to hear each other's stories. You know, I really believe that. And, um, you know, hopefully, as we end the call and you know you go about the rest of your day um there was some benefit you know to oh, yeah. you as well yeah. because i know there definitely was for yeah me. absolutely this was this was very enjoyable mm-hmm. um i guess before i let you go bill is there anything you want to plug any if you're in ohio is there any yeah. dates uh, where we just, can see you i would uh not really any dates coming up but uh at bill squire on instagram uh with a lot of pictures of my dog so if you like dogs you'll see her and then uh i have a podcast called the bill squire show and then i'm also on a radio show called the alan cox show which both have podcasts and youtube channels so if you want to check those out and just check me out on a daily basis uh they're a lot of fun especially if you need something like content on a daily basis uh the alan cox show we do four and a half hours every single day in the afternoon and we do it live on youtube and the iHeartRadio app awesome definitely uh we'll all have to check you out and Again, one more time, thank you so much for coming on and I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. Well, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. You've been listening to a Focal Point podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.